Good morning. How are you? The sun's out. So happy. <laughs> um, just in case you missed that, my name is also Esther, and I am also a key leader here. Key leaders of other names are allowed in this church, but you get two Esthers, so what a win. Um, so on Sundays at the moment, we are in this teaching series called Recapture Wonder Jesus. Uh, I don't know about you, but I think we, and I hope it's not just me, can get a bit overly familiar with the Jesus stories in the Bible. Um, we read about God with skin on, which is a total, totally bonkers reality. Doing and saying all kinds of challenging awesomeness here on earth, like changing water into wine, telling us to love our enemies as two examples. And sometimes we don't give any of it or Jesus himself a second thought. Jesus changed everything. And if we just stop long enough, Jesus will turn everything we think we know on its head in the right here, right now. And again, I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty cool, isn't it? Exciting, even. <laughs> um, and this morning, um, so our title is The Rejected Saviour. And we're going to be reading a story that Jesus told from the book of Mark in the Bible. Um, I like Mark. Uh, he's kind of like the uh, tweeted version of the four Gospels. Um, his book is short. It's fast-paced. It's one big story after another. And Mark's not messing about as he says to his readers, look, this is Jesus. Jesus is what our God looks and sounds like. He's mind-blowing, isn't he? Not quite what we were expecting, right? And our verses today are from Mark chapter 12. Um, but before we get into it, we're just going to um, track for a moment where it's situated in real time in the bigger picture of Jesus' story. And so in our churches, when we're heading towards Easter, as we are now, uh, this is what can happen. We have a look at Sunday, otherwise known as Palm Sunday, and Jesus coming into Jerusalem on a donkey. And you can read that in Mark 11. Then we get a bit excited because we want to get to the good stuff. So we jump ahead to Thursday, uh, which is Mark chapter 14. So Jesus eating with his friends and being betrayed by one of those friends in a garden. And we can miss out on and skip past Jesus saying and doing all kinds of awesome stuff on the Monday, the Tuesday, and the Wednesday of that week. Even Mark, in his short Twitter-like book, gives two whole chapters to these three days. And Jason Porterfield says in his book, Fight Like Jesus, he says, unlike us, the gospel writers did not rush past the first half of Holy Week. They took their time detailing the days leading up to the cross. And when it came to Holy Tuesday, they decided numerous developments were worth chronicling. In fact, given how much they wrote, one could argue that they considered Holy Tuesday to be of the utmost importance. When Jesus tells this story we're about to read in Mark chapter 12, it's Tuesday, Holy Tuesday. Tuesday. 
So keep that in mind. Um, but yeah, let's get into it. We're going to read Mark chapter 12, uh, verses 1 to 12. Uh, if you've got a Bible with you on your phone or paper, um, grab that or uh, yeah, it's going to be on the wall behind me. So this um, is titled The Parable of the Tenants. Uh, this is what it says. Jesus then began, began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others, some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and is it marvelous in our eyes? Then the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. As I said at the start, our title is The Rejected Saviour. So this is where we're going and what we're going to get stuck into today. First, though, we are going to have a look at Jesus and parables. Uh, the verses that we just read started with, Jesus then began to, Jesus began to speak to them in parables. Or, it's, or as it says in the message version, then Jesus started telling them stories. Isn't it awesome that Jesus, God with skin on, loved to tell stories? Like Jesus didn't spend his years here on earth giving lectures to the well-off and educated at the local university. And he didn't spend his years angrily pacing around the towns and villages with a megaphone, putting people in their place, demanding they sign up to his way or else. Like Jesus told stories, lots of stories, to all kinds of people in all kinds of places. And Jesus' stories were and are creative. They're compelling, they're controversial and confusing. Uh, Rachel Held Evans says of Jesus' parables in her book called Inspired, she says, while they are rooted in the commonplace, it is a mistake to label these stories simple. But Jesus' stories invite us into the kingdom of God. They are amazingly accessible, yet at the same time need wrestling with as much as any other part of the Bible. So in verses 1 to 9 that we've just read, Jesus tells us a story. Uh, it's about a man who owns a vineyard, which already is, I assume, a little bit removed from our day-to-day -day experience, unless there are any vineyard owners here. Adrian, 
No, no. Okay. But that doesn't matter. No bother. If you're anything like me, you brush that off and you go straight to what you think is the most important question when it comes to a Jesus story. And that question is, what does it mean? And you start to work that out. So you work out that the man who owned the vineyard, uh, that's God. Um, And if you read a couple of other books, you work out that the vineyard uh, is Israel, because there are some references in Isaiah to that. Um, You know that the servants there, the prophets that have come before Jesus, people like John the Baptist, and the son who is sent by the owner of the vineyard and is brutally killed and disposed of is... Jesus, phew, tick that one off, let's move on to the next one. But while what does it mean is a good question, I wonder if there's a subtly different question for us to take on that might be, why might Jesus be telling this story? As we noted earlier, Jesus is telling this story on Tuesday less than three days before he faces a sham of a trial, is humiliated, beaten literally within an inch of his life and publicly executed. Jesus doesn't have much time left, and he knows it. What happens in these few days is important. What he says in these few days could change anything and everything. And... At a first read, this story that Jesus tells, it's shocking. We've got greed, brutality, murder, lots of it, and revenge all rolled into one. So imagine if you were in the crowd listening to this story with no idea of what is about to happen to Jesus. No idea of how the bigger story is going to unfold. How, how would you react? Like, where do you go with a story like this from a man like Jesus? Because when we hear Jesus telling this story, we know what happens next. And we've already worked out the meaning, so it can kind of lose its impact. Like, maybe to us, Jesus sounds a little bit cold, a little bit condemning, a bit like... You just wait and see what happens, then you'll be sorry. And we even read in verse 12 that the chief priests and teachers of the law knew he had spoken the parable against them. But let's not lose Jesus in this. The Jesus who loves the whole world with with everyone and everything in it totally and completely. Like the Jesus who came into Jerusalem two days previous, sat on a donkey, tears streaming down his face. And in Luke 19, 42, we read that Jesus was crying, saying, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. I don't think Jesus tells this parable to shame the people who are about to kill him to write them off as baddies in his story for the next few thousand years. I think Jesus wants everyone, everyone listening to him in that moment in time to see who he truly is, to know his unconditional love, 
to hear and accept the invitation he's been offering for the last three years of his life on earth. Like Jesus knows what's coming, but he still speaks to every single person in that crowd listening to his story from this place of gut-wrenching, heartbreaking love. And I think it's why he tells this parable. Like his heart is for the crowd and each person in it, even the baddies. Like everyone listening to this story at the time has a choice in how they respond to Jesus. And whatever they choose, Jesus won't change. And in the same way, however we respond, whatever we choose, Jesus' gut-wrenching, heartbreaking love for every single one of us will stay exactly the same. So Jesus is our rejected saviour. Like, you put those two words together, and it doesn't feel like they should go together. Rejected saviour. So... Um, we're going to have a think now on that first word, rejected. And as I was having a little think about this, um, I came to the conclusion that I don't like that Jesus is so good with rejection. Like, do you know what I mean? This might explain it a bit. So I made a deal with myself when I was around 16 years old. I said, for now, Esther, keep your head down. Don't rock the boat. And when you get to move out of home and go to university, that is when you get to put Jesus, church, and anything related in the bin. No more of that rubbish. Your life, your way. So I started counting down the days. And knowing that I made that choice that I planned my rejection of Jesus. Like, that hurts. And now, as I think of where I am with my very nearly 44 years old birthday on Friday... um, (laughs) Thank you. um, And that I have been all in with Jesus for a while now. But I still have times when I wonder if Jesus is worth it, when I intentionally choose to put Jesus to one side, when I throw all his good stuff and everything I have right back in his face. And knowing that I make these choices in the present, that also hurts. Because I know that if I had someone say to me all the things I've said to Jesus that person would no longer be in my life. I would have cut them out a very long time ago and definitely given some of my own choice words back. And I also know that when I, when you, when all the people in all the world over all time reject Jesus in different ways, like it genuinely and deeply hurts him. I know that Jesus feels our rejection every single time and I'm not saying that to make me feel guilty you feel guilty but knowing all this it makes Jesus unconditional and wholehearted love grace and forgiveness really hard for our tiny little brains to comprehend that we get the slate wiped clean 
again and again and again. You see where that's going. Um, and we get to do life in the here and now, every day, with Jesus. There, there aren't enough words to do any of that justice. And in verses 10 to 11 from Mark 12, Jesus rounds off his parable with this. He says, haven't you read this passage of scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this. And is it marvelous in our eyes? Jesus points the crowd, including the religious leaders, back to some words in the scriptures they have. And we can find that in Psalm 118, verses 22 and 23. Jesus does this quite a lot. He points us back to words that were said, prophecies that were made hundreds of years before he was alive. And he says, come here. Look, listen, have a read of this here. This is about me. And, oh look, there's this other bit here, and here, and here. The thing is, with our human filters and assumptions, we don't expect that the one that is rejected to also be the answer, to be the saviour we've been looking and waiting for. And I love this definition, thanks Google, um, of a cornerstone. And so a cornerstone is the first stone set. It becomes a reference point for all other stones. Everything finds its definition in this one piece. This is Jesus. He is the cornerstone. Rejected but the place and the person where we can all find our definition, our meaning, and our purpose. That, my friends, is awesome. So that is the rejected bit. So to finish off, um, what is this saviour business all about? This uh, is from Mark chapter 10, uh, verse 45, and this is Jesus speaking. And Jesus says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now I think this definition would not have featured highly in any What is a Saviour? online searching done by the crowds listening to Jesus. Not just because they didn't have the internet. Um, Even his closest followers and friends struggle to grasp this stark reminder of the upside-down, back-to-front nature of Jesus and what his way was and is all about. If you're a Christian, if you follow Jesus, you'll know that Jesus, otherwise known as the saviour of the world, died on a cross, came back to life, and that this is key to our faith and having a relationship with him. The thing is, I wonder if sometimes we can think about this in a transactional kind of way. And it goes a little bit like this. God's perfect. God needed a sacrifice to atone for, to cancel out all of humanity's sin and bad stuff, past, present and future. God used Jesus, his son, as a sacrifice. And now... If we say a prayer and believe, we get to go to heaven. Transaction complete. 
But Jesus as our saviour means so much more than a ticket to heaven. The good news we often talk about is so much more than a gospel of sin management, as Dallas Willard puts it. And I'm going to quote Rachel Held Evans one more time. Take a deep breath. It's a bit long, but this is proper good stuff. And she says, Jesus didn't just come to die. Jesus came to live, to teach, to heal, to tell stories, to protest, to turn over tables, to touch people who weren't supposed to be touched and eat with people who weren't supposed to be eaten with, to break bread, to pour wine, to wash feet, to face temptation, to tick off the authorities, to fulfill scripture, to forgive, to announce the start of a brand new kingdom, to show us what that kingdom looks is like, to show us what God is like, to love his enemies to the point of death at their hands, and to beat death by rising from the grave. Jesus did not simply die to save us from our sins. Jesus lived to save us from our sins. His life and teachings show us the way to liberation. Jesus' life, the stories he told, and of course Jesus' death and resurrection show us how to live free, light, radical, faith-filled lives today here on earth. We get to live like Jesus, and we get to live with Jesus. This is the wonder and awesomeness of Jesus our rejected saviour, our cornerstone. So, how might we respond today? Maybe a question for us to wrestle with is quite a simple but deep one. Um, like, Where am I at with Jesus right now? Like, In this moment, as you think about Jesus, the stuff that we've looked at and talked about this morning... Like, where are you at with Jesus right now? And be honest with him in that, because he knows anyway. But, um, yeah, where are you at with Jesus? And maybe this is a time for you to say, yes, I'm in Jesus. Whether that is for the first time or the one millionth time. Yes, Jesus, I'm in. And... Um, as I was preparing this, I felt like there might be someone or people here who need to hear Jesus say this. Whatever has happened, whatever you think of me, you are not rejected. You are totally and completely loved and always 100% accepted. You are my kid and I love you. I'm going to pray. Jesus, yeah, you are awesome. And, uh, yeah, awesome, really. Um, Will you um, help each one of us right now, in this moment, to see you, Jesus? To hear your voice speak directly to us.
thank you that you you know us you love us and that never changes Thank you, Jesus, for the life and the relationship that you offer every single one of us. Thank you for your grace and for your forgiveness. That, yeah, where we have screwed up, where we have chosen anything and everything else other than you where we have gone out our way to kick all your good stuff back in your face God we're sorry yeah Jesus we're sorry thank you that we get to go again and again and again yeah thank you Jesus Will you give us, um, yeah, continually open hearts to hear you and see you and respond to you? Yeah, yeah, Holy Spirit, as we as we respond, as we worship, will you work in us and through us? Amen.